Welcome to the NARPM Podcast, where we bring you the most in-depth look into the property management industry. We discuss hot topics with property managers, vendors, and those that support the property management industry. The National Association of Residential Property Managers is the recognized leader in property management. Our host is Pete Newbig, co-founder of Empire Industries Property Management and co-founder and CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. Now, here's your host, Pete Newbig. Welcome, everybody, to the NARPM Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Newbig, and thank you for taking the time to download and listen today. So today's show, we have Billy Early, who runs the maintenance division over at Colorado Realty and Property Management. And in this episode, Billy and I get down and dirty, and we dive deep into the maintenance process. And we actually go step-by-step and I ask him lots of questions about how Colorado Realty handles, you know, basically thousands, you know, close to a thousand work orders every month. So if you have a challenge with maintenance or are intrigued about how other folks handle maintenance effectively, then this is going to be a great episode for you. So before we get to the interview with Billy, I want to talk a little bit about the hot topic today. And so the hot topic is, uh, well, if you are not part of Peter Lohman's mailing list, I, uh, I do suggest that you get on it. He's got very interesting information. He's got great information. And the December 15th episode goes over a, an interview with, with RentWorks, the owner of RentWorks, Brad Larson, about his insurance settlement that he did with uh, the Texas Department of Insurance. And it's really interesting, but many of us, like Brad, have some type of assurance programs, whether it's an eviction protection. I know at Empire, I had an eviction protection program. I had an animal protection program or a pet program. I also had a damage program. And we also have some rent programs, right? So these programs are designed and uh, to have a triple win so shout out to the second nature guys with the triple win but you know for example like eviction right so if somebody ends up getting evicted then you have this program where they don't pay for the eviction and and there's some type of assurance like we'll guarantee up to so much money or anything like that uh, for that program and they pay kind of a monthly fee and I'm really interested that that the TDI came after Brad. I'm really actually intrigued and I'm actually was a little confused that they came after him because Brad and I talked a lot, you know, this is years ago about creating these programs and we kind of did it at the same time. And like always, Brad did it first and I kind of followed, but we both had uh, attorneys review these programs and, you know, basically verify that it's not insurance and that it should be, it should be good to go. Well, what happens is when somebody comes after you, and obviously somebody had to be upset enough with Brad to kind of report him, and then the TDI did their investigation. As you know, because I'm sure most of us, if you've been in property management long enough, it's not 
when you get sued. It's not if you get sued, it's when you get sued. And to fight something like this takes more time, effort, stress, and money than it would, you know, to win than it would to just actually go ahead and, and you know, and just pay, pay uh, the fee or the fine or, 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 you know, make a settlement of some sort. And so uh, I have not, you know, this, I have not talked to Brad about this at all. I'm getting all this secondhand from Peter Lohman's interview with him, which was really interesting. So obviously insurance is heavily regulated and they can find something that it looks, if it looks and smells like insurance, then they say it's insurance. And although that both Brad and I, in this instance, were were geared with attorneys saying that it's not insurance and there's a way to fight it, sometimes the cost to fight it is just not, is not worth it. My understanding from this letter, this newsletter from Peter Lohman, is that Brad has been fighting this for years. And finally... He decided to go ahead and settle because, like I said, at some point there's a there's a diminishing re- returns. All right, so here are the takeaways that that Peter Loman had. So if you're offering any sort of protections, and we put that in quotations, make sure you have a licensed and approved insurance product to back it up. Right. So this is where the RIS team that is on here all the time with their commercials come into play. They actually have the license and approved insurance to back up your security deposit insurance. You don't want to self-insure this stuff unless you are a licensed and approved insurer yourself. Number two, if you're collecting any sort of insurance premiums on behalf of a tenant, even master insurance policies in your name, the insurance commission considers that practice of unlicensed insurance sales. So do not believe the salespeople telling you that, that it's all right. Right. So again, you have a master policy in your name and then you are, you know, basically collecting insurance premiums on behalf of a resident that is frowned upon, at least in the at least in Texas. And even having. Oh, so here's the third one here. So even having an insurance license does not get you out of these issues if you self insure an unsanctioned product. So. Those are, those are three big things. So if you, are, if you have any kind of protections and you're not using RIS to back them up, I highly recommend that you review these and make sure that the department insurance, you know, I, I don't know if you have to get them approved by the department insurance, talk to your attorney. I would talk to, you know, Eric Weatherington, Greg Deering, Jeff Deering over at RIS and have them do a review to make sure that, you know, you're not going to, lose thousands of hours of sleep, thousands of dollars and years of your time. Unfortunately, Brad did. And Brad is trying to, you know, tried to fight this for, for years and finally decided, screw it. I'm just going to pay it so I can move on. And uh, I get that. I've been sued many times. And there are times when I just, you know, I knew I was right. I was going to win. But what was the cost? The cost of being right versus the cost of just settling and moving on with your life something that you have to everyone each one of us have to think through so anyway that's the hot topic we'll be right back after these messages and then if you're if you're a maintenance geek like i am then you're going to love this interview with billy talk to you soon pete newbig here 
former owner of Empire Industries. We managed around a thousand single family properties in Houston, Texas. Property inspections was a massive time killer for our team. They were overworked from being out of the office and trying to catch up. Their reports would miss important items. They just didn't have time to do them well. And worse, we weren't even charging for all the time we were spending doing them. We solved this problem by using on-site pros. They scheduled directly with our residents for our annual reports and became our eyes, ears, and nose at our properties. Beyond that, they solved the problem of security deposit disputes with their incredibly detailed move-in and move-out reports. And our owners were happy to pay for the quality of reports we delivered. It was one of the best things I ever implemented for both my team and my investors. I can't imagine trying to manage properties without them on my team. For more information, go to onsitepros.com or call 210-610-0132, onsite, S-I-G-H-T, pros.com. Did you know that most tenants struggle to come up with a large sum of money needed to move into their new rental home? Let Renters Insurance Solutions help you solve this problem by giving tenants another option for security deposits. Property managers can make up to $200 per door annually with our programs. Learn more at our website, yourris.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-S.com. Renters Insurance Solutions, your experts in property management and insurance. All right, so we got a treat today. Like I said, I got Vanilla Burrow, Bill Early here with Colorado Realty. He is in studio. So Vanilla, thanks for being here. Thank you, Pete. So if anybody knows, inside joke, but Billy and I, we have rap names. I am Kim Milk. He is Vanilla Burl. And yes, we gave ourselves rap names. So Billy, thanks for being here. So you are the maintenance manager of Colorado Realty Property Management. About 12 to 1,300 units, mostly single family. That, my friend, is a lot of work orders. How many work orders would you say on average come in per month? Per month? We're at about, I would say, 1,200 work orders at this time. We're going into about 14,000 work orders for the year. This includes seasonal. This includes everything with estimates. Turns? 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 Exactly. Yes. So so it does have a lot besides just the occupied units. Okay. Recurring as well? Like snow removal, landscaping, things of that nature when you have vacants, things of that nature? Yes. With our company, we have about eight different situations that come up but most of them do come from the preventative as well okay wow so on the vpm platform which is my company the number one job that is most requested is something to do with maintenance maintenance coordination of some sort so this is a huge topic and a lot of people out there need good maintenance coordinators so let's talk a little bit about the anatomy of a work order and I won't get too deep into, let's leave out the uh, the emergency work orders. Let's talk just kind of like a regular average work order because the emergencies could be a whole other podcast. So resident moves in, you know, some kind of maintenance challenge happens. Tell me about the policy that you have on receiving a work order. Like, you know, how do they, how do they send a work order in? Yeah. So we have a online portal for the residents to submit work orders when they are submitting a work order, they we do not accept it over the phone. We do not accept it in email form. They are required to put it in through the maintenance portal. You know, there are some variations where we do accept it otherwise, but for the most part, when it's an occupied property, they have to use the software that was provided to them to submit that for the fastest service and the best help from our team. Got it. So if they make a phone call, if they call in, do, does your maintenance team get that phone call and then kind of work them and show them how to enter the ticket or does your you know does somebody the frontline people tell them how to do that does that go to your maintenance team 
Yeah, so when a resident moves in, we actually have a lot of information about how they're supposed to submit work orders, what we're looking for. So they should already have an understanding of that. Your residents read stuff that you leave at the house? They do not most of the time, (laughs) actually. So so because of that, when they do call in, yes, we will direct them to an email with all the information, a templated email that says, hey, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is what we're looking for. After this phone call, please look at that, log in, get it taken care of. And so your maintenance team gets the call, though, like the re- or did you teach the receptionist how to answer that call? We did teach the receptionist how to answer that call, okay. so that is all set. But that said, with our receptionist, since it's a third-party company, we will receive those sometimes and have a conversation with them. But the Got email it. template will come from our team directly, not the receptionist. And in that, you're explaining why it's of value to them to put it in, right? Like, so it's date stamped, time stamped. It's, it's value for you, Mr. Tenant, that you can see that it's date, ta- date and time stamped so that we know when you put the ticket in. Exactly. Got it. All right. So now I put the ticket in. Uh, so email, same concept. I'm guessing you just reply back. Here's how you do it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. So you're still giving great customer service. It's just like, hey, these are the rules. This is how you, how you abide by it. Right. Correct. Okay. All right, so now uh, a work order comes in over the platform, and you guys are using, prop, they put it in through property meld or through AppFolio? I know you guys use AppFolio and property meld. How does that, how do they put it in? Yep, so we are using property meld right now. So they will log into their property meld account. Since it's with property meld, it's not normally through a, let's say, AppFolio account that they can submit that through. So that can cause some confusion at times, but they'll go into property meld, they'll submit their work order. Right when they're submitting their work order, obviously they have the option to put in the category, put in, you know, what priority level they believe it is. This is is brilliant because you're getting so many, uh, you're getting so much more information. Exactly. Are they uploading photos too? So they are told to upload photos in many different forms, but right when they're submitting that work order, if they don't put in the photos when they have the option before they click submit, immediately we have an automation to require them to submit photos before we assign it. So obviously we're not going to require them, but we're going to tell them that it is just so we can provide more information to ourselves, to the contractors, everything like that. We're giving them a list of what we're expecting to assist them as fast as possible. Yeah. So you're working a ticket and meanwhile they think that they're stuck. So they're, they're going out and getting that, uh, getting that photo, but you guys are already working the ticket. Exactly. And what we love about it is right away, once they click that submit button, it will automate a email or a message to them through the chat saying, this is what we're looking for. So it's top of mind for them. They have the time to do it. Whereas, you know, if we get in in the morning on a Monday morning and we're asking them about it, they might already be at work. They're not going to think about putting that in. It's right there while they're on the site. Got it. Are you having a hard time getting the residents to adopt to the property meld uh, portal? Not at all. We actually have about a 90% adoption rate right now. So with that said, with that 10% of residents that do not have their account set up yet from their move in to, you know, three years down the lease, every single month we send them a new invite in case they're not added, just in case. But it's been month 36. I know you're still not getting it, but hey, could you create this portal? I guess when they have a work order, that's when they would create the portal. Exactly. And that's where we get some of our call volume is with questions about that. And I don't know how to log into the account, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Check out your email. I'm going to send you two things right now. Nice. Okay. So yeah, you do not have to stay on the phone with them very long. So yeah, we got it. And then here we're going to send you the instructions calls if you need more help. Right. Exactly. So keeping that call length down. Exactly. Because in maintenance, call length is probably one of the KPIs you have to look at, right? It's not just call answer rate, but it's call length. Exactly. Because you don't want someone on the phone for two hours. Right. All right. So now you guys get it, get the request. Um, Do you troubleshoot the request? 
we troubleshoot at least 10 of the different categories that come in. So GFCI issue, garbage disposal, AC, furnace. When things like that come in, for example, it will automatically send them a message about the photos, obviously, but then it's going to send them a message about troubleshooting it and saying, hey, please get this done. Respond back to us once you try these options with if it did work, if it did not work, and we'll go from there. This also allows us to you know, slow down the process a little bit and kind of put it back on them before we have to assign a contractor, spend the landlord's money, make that experience rough as well. So that's brilliant. So did you guys come up with those? Are those automated templates? And are they property mail templates that you built? And so if it's a specific category, it automatically sends that? Or are you guys looking at it saying, oh, it's this category. It looks like this. This is the next, these are the troubleshooting things. That, so is it manually that we manually send the troubleshooting steps? We started out by using property meld templates, but we have since defined those a little bit better with newer YouTube videos that we think explain it maybe a little bit better in that sort of sense. But yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, that was what I was going next. So you send them basically links to YouTube videos on how to troubleshoot it. Exactly. An easy example is going to be the garbage disposal, right? So you send them a YouTube video on how to hit the reset button right on underneath the, the garbage disposal typically, right? So that's something that, that gets sent. And you guys already have that in a library? We already have it in the library. And again, all this is automation. So as you were saying earlier, they do have to put in a category or even if they have to put in a keyword, that will tell us what template needs to be sent out and the automation will figure it out, send that right thing over. It says appliance on it. We're gonna immediately send them a message right after they click submit saying, what, are, what is the model number? What is the serial number? This is the best way, blah, blah, blah. Interesting. So, and that's all inside of property right now? I mean, property meld right now? All inside property meld. You just have to build it out. But, you know, the possibilities are endless when it comes to the automation. Yeah. So I didn't know they built that. So that's almost like a form of AI. It's very, very, you know, low level form of AI. But that's amazing. I didn't know uh, meld got there. So nice job to the, to the meld team. And that also allows your team not to be on the phone troubleshooting like did you get the, 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 you know, in this case, the switch underneath the garbage disposal, like you put it right back on them. All right. So I have to ask a question though. Like, so now I send somebody back to the resident for troubleshooting. Do you have a policy, internal policy that says if the resident doesn't get back to us after X amount of days, we're closing the work order because at that point it worked and they just didn't get back to us. Or do you keep that work order open for eternity until you get somebody on that phone that's or a, a response from the resident that says, yeah, it worked? Yeah, so we, we have a form of an audit to make sure that we're not closing that out right away because that is tough. Sometimes residents might not see that email or that chat come through. So we will hold on to it for a little bit depending on the priority of the situation. If it's a furnace, we're going to reach out to them every day for four days until they respond back to us. We will send out a contractor pretty much right away for certain situations just because we want to make sure we're doing our part to stay out of warrant habitability or whatever it is that way. And realistically, if we send out that contractor a day after sending out that troubleshooting issue and it ends up being that situation where they should have just looked at the video, they could have corrected it, immediately resident charge. So the troubleshooting actually helps us with justifying that resident charge as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. One of the challenges that we had is... We would troubleshoot with the resident. The resident would never get back to us and tickets would stay open for weeks. And so finally, we just made a pol internal policy. If we troubleshoot, we did troubleshooting with the resident and the resident respond after three days, we close the ticket. I like that. I like that, especially with the lower priority work orders when it yep. does not need to be taken care of. And, you know, with a landlord, 
they have the ability to see work orders as well. So if they're saying that a work order was canceled because it was open for a little bit, but they don't see it on their owner statement, that's just extra help as well. Yeah. And here's the thing. 90% of the time, the, the resident actually did the troubleshooting and it worked. And so you don't reopen a ticket, right? So now I'm not spending my team's time reaching out day after day after day, you know, and we're not having, because I'm a big, I was a big proponent of less is more, right? If I have all of these work orders open, I, it, it takes longer to get through them all. Oh yeah, that's the one, yeah, that's the one that from Elm Street. That's right, we remember that one. They, they, the, the tenant was supposed to troubleshoot that. And it's like two weeks ago. So we, we it, so it would cause other challenges because we wouldn't get to other work orders potentially or we would miss something because we have too many going on. So we just close it. And then in the 10% of the time, the resident would reopen it. No harm, no foul. It didn't work. Okay, great. Now we know it didn't work, but at least we got a, we, we almost forced them to, you know, to, to send us a response in some capacity. Yeah, they don't respond back. Three days goes by, you close it out. They send in another work order and they say, what the heck, why did you close out this work order? Yep. You didn't respond back to us. We thought you troubleshot it. Sorry right. about that. We'll go ahead and send out a contractor if that didn't work. Yep. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah, so and so it really wasn't like, it, it, we never got anybody who was angry. We never got negative CSAT scores because of that. So it was just an easy way to kind of keep that database clean. Definitely. You know. I also tied my bonus to my maintenance team. So if they had a specific amount of work orders that were open and they were a percentage open over so many days, they wouldn't get a bonus. So if that hat was lower, they'd get a bonus. So I started creating policies in a way I can help them close tickets. And so this was an easy way, right? Because now a ticket's open and now they're not getting bonus because we had five tickets open because they were troubleshooting. They did all the right things, but the resident never got back to us. And I, I didn't think that was fair to them. So we just, we just close them out. Yeah, that's helpful. All right, so now we go ahead and we troubleshoot. It's not working. What's the next step? So you got to uh, you got to dispatch at that point. So the next step is dispatching. So we have all third party contractors. Nothing is in house. So we have a list of five contractors for every single type of situation that we have that we can send out to them. We have to pick and choose. We have a wide range wide range of properties, cities, things like that. So different property might require a different contractor things like that. So we will have to go through that. We'll assign that contractor. We'll have the automation come in to let the contractor know what the expectation is every single time. Most of them know it, but you know, they have to respond back. They have to accept that work order within six hours. If not, it might reassign, reassign it or unassign them. So that is the initial process. Yes. Okay. Do you, you're in this more than I am right now. Do you have a rule of thumb of how many properties per like vendor you need like let's say you have five ac guys if i don't have 1300 units i don't need five ac guys right do you have like a rule of thumb like every 300 units you should have another uh, another vendor or do you prescribe to like just get as many as you can and, and just weed out the bad ones and keep the good ones like what, what any thoughts there we don't have a metric to decide that necessarily right now with 1200 units we want five vendors for each area of town that we're in so we have fort collins colorado springs denver and with that that's 200 miles of length Oh, you guys are in multiple markets. So, so mm. in each market, we have to have five AC vendors, five, really? you know, you have enough business man. for all five vendors. That's the thing was we don't, but at the same time, you know, we will use our top vendors and we'll have people on the back end that are still Got okay it. with using okay. us that will use our, go about our process. And if they don't, if they're, you know, something's going on, 
We have so many vendors that we can bring on after that. I know that there's a vendor shortage right now. Everyone's probably thinking that. But at the same time, everyone's still reaching out to us, and we can definitely lose one that's not fitting our expectations or not willing to work in that area. Or if you're not giving enough business, eventually they might just kind of die off, and then you have to replace them with another one. Yeah, I would say that they're going to die off for their own reasons anyways, but Mm -hmm. that's the whole part about the onboarding process with our vendors. If they're understanding and they already use property meld, let's say, that they're going to stay with us and as long as they're in business themselves. So let's talk about that, right? So you guys are in a position of power, 1,200 units in multiple markets. So how do you, what's the adoption rate on the vendor side of property meld? Is it 100%? With our newer vendors, it is 100% just because our expectations are very clear. And if they are not willing to meet those on the onboarding call, they're not going to work out with their company. We don't even want to try it. So as long as they are still working and they're interested in, you know, doing how taking care of a situation, taking care of a work order, how we expect it, they're always going to adopt it. Now we do have vendors from before we started using property melt and they, some of them are absolutely amazing. So, you know, we kind of have to allow them to, you know, not take care of it the way we expect it. But again, as we grow, as we continue to find new contractors, we weed out the people that are making us, you know, less efficient. And that's the biggest piece. You guys are so big now that contractors are reaching out to you guys all the time, I'm assuming. I, I receive 10 reach outs from different contractors a week. And okay. it's So amazing. you're in a position of power. So anybody new, you have the rules of the game. Do you actually have a vendor agreement that you guys use? We have a two-page vendor agreement and then one additional page that goes over about 15 expectations that they have to sign off on. Very in-depth, make sure that they, you know, align with our expectations, align with what we want them to do in, you know, specific time. Before photos, after photos, like this is how, this is how you behave at the house and things of that, that nation. Exactly. Okay. Okay. You may not have the answer to this, but I'm going to put you on the spot. If I was a property management firm and only had a hundred units and I'm the one reaching out to vendors, you know, because I'm not bigger in the, in the, in the city that I service yet. Would you try to get them on property mail if I was a property mail user or, or like how, what, what would you do uh, to make sure that you secure that vendor, but you also have them work within the confines of, of your company? Any up, any ideas on that? If I'm in need for, if I had a hundred units and I needed contractors, I would allow them to have some wiggle room with what I want from it. Obviously, you know, as time goes on, you're going to figure out new things with new contractors. But if the pool is small, you have to do what you have to do in order to get that stuff done for your clients. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you start now, you take any door to manage. And then over time, you kind of weed out the ones you don't want to manage. Right. It's like, yeah, I'll take any vendor. And then over time, uh, as I'm giving that vendor more work, I can then kind of say, hey, I need you to t- do meld or do before and after photos or whatever it is at that point. Perfect. Perfect example. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now your team did the troubleshooting or your AI did it and your YouTube videos got sent out. Somebody had to, had to do troubleshoot. Doesn't work. Your team now dispatches. They up, they have a list. So your team is trained on what vendors can do, which categories do you have like a master spreadsheet or how does that work? How do they know which vendor to send out? We have a mass, we have a I'm assuming most of your, most of your maintenance coordinators are virtual assistants. Is that an assumption or is that true? All of our, all of our maintenance coordinators are actually in Colorado. And the reason why is because they're also there to walk properties. We have our maintenance coordinators be the one that 
meet the landlord when we firstly onboard them, if we want to walk the property with them, things like that. And okay. when situations come up, emergencies, that maintenance coordinator needs to know everything about the property. So that's how, that's how we roll with Interesting. It. Okay. That's a great concept. So your, so your maintenance coordinators know about central AC, central heat. You don't have to teach them any of that because they obviously are in the States. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Some right. still have some training with uh, furnaces and things like that, but yes. And then when it comes to, you know, our vendor pool, how we know who to assign and what to do, we have mm-hmm. a master spreadsheet for the different regions that we have. We have a master spreadsheet for the, or within the same spreadsheet, we have, you know, the different categories and who is our top one, who's our bottom one, yep. who we should use more, who should we use less. Got and it. then with our three maintenance coordinators, just to add a little bit to that, yeah. we actually make a competition with it. So each person has their designated contractor. So if one of them is, if one of us is out, then the other team knows who they would want to assign to that work order. And then it t- kind of puts it back on the maintenance coordinator to find their vendors. If they're, you know, not working well with certain ones, they're the ones that have to find that for their specific properties. Do you rate your vendors? We rate our vendors through Property Meld actually. So we, we use a scoring system that Property Meld has provided to kind of see how fast they close out work orders, how expensive are their uh, work orders on average, how often they're communicating with contract or with the residents and, you know, allowing us to have some more ease and flexibility. Oh, I like that. Okay. All right. So now the vendor goes out and they do the troubleshooting and... Let's just say it's over the threshold. So it's not an emergency, but it's over the threshold that's on your PMA. What's the next steps? How do you guys handle that? So if it is a lower priority work order, not an emergency, then we might have to wait on it, get the landlord approval for it before we move forward. So we're going to have that contractor leave the property, send us an estimate, tell us it over the phone. We'll reach out to the landlord, get that going immediately for that. Now, obviously that comes with extra service calls potentially. So we really try to have that vendor call us while they're on site regardless. So we can give them the initial approval if we think it has to be done or if we can just give a quick call to the landlord to figure that out. It all depends. Let's just say your maintenance threshold is 500. We're just throwing a number out there. Do you tell the vendors that they have carte blanche up to 500 or do you say 400 or 300? And then they call in and if it's less than 500, now you have a little bit of wiggle room. They can say, yeah, because your PMA says it like, or do you just tell tell them that it's 500? All of our maintenance coordinators have been on the team for a long enough time where they should know the price of different things. So we do, let's say we have a $500 maintenance reserve and it's a garbage disposal situation. We're going to say cap the work order off at this amount. All of our vendors do know where our threshold is, but we will still put in the work order saying cap at 250. And oh, that's at that brilliant. point, yeah, we don't want them to, you know, so each work order has extra. a different maintenance limit. Each work order has a different maintenance limit for, I would say, 80 percent of work orders. Sometimes we just have to say, get out there, get it taken care of. But most of the time, yes, we will have. Yeah, I mean, if it's an them. AC, right, the cap might be 500. But if it's a garbage disposal, the cap might be 250. Like you said, that's that's brilliant. That saves one of the things. One of the challenges that we had was over time the vendors knew the cap was 500 and everything was 499.99, right? And they think they're doing us a favor, but what they're really doing is it looks like that they're trying to steal something, right? So when an owner sees 499.99, they get kind of pissed off. So we actually had to, we went, we, we didn't go as elaborate as you guys. And, and I, I wish I would have thought of that. We just, if we had the cap at 500, we just told all of our, all of our vendors that had 300. And then when they called in, if it was 400 or 350, whatever, we then would give them the verbal. 
Like, go ahead, you got it, because they were still under the threshold. I like your methodology a lot better. In, in order to be as efficient as possible, if we know what the average price of that work order is going to be, we're going to put it $25 over that amount just because we don't want to have to receive so many more calls from our vendors. We don't mm -hmm. have to think about it on the back end. We want it to just be straightforward so they can work with the resident, close it out as fast as possible. We're all set. Now, do you guys have a policy that, let's say... You know, let's say they go out there and it's not an emergency, but it's a high dollar. Like it's, let's say it's 1200 bucks, right? Obviously we got to let the right, the owner know. Typically the first thing the owner is going to do is, is ask for a second quote. So do you have like our, we had a policy that said anything under 750, we didn't get to get a second quote, but anything 750 or above, we went and got a second quote before we even sent it to the owner. You guys do anything like that? Or do you send the owner the first, the first quote and say, Hey man, we really got to knock this thing out. Yeah, so our first policy is we will only provide the landlord with two quotes. That said, with how we go about it, we have our number one vendor. We have our number five vendor, right? So normally when we're sending that quote over to the landlord, we will tell them this is our top vendor and our cheapest vendor. So we can definitely get a quote for you, but this will cause the resident to have a worse experience. This will cause a lot of other issues. I like that. So realistically, I'm the expert here, and I believe that this, this is not is, needed this is for the price. And another thing, you don't want your resident to move out early. You don't want them to yeah. non-renew. So let's make them happy, trust in us, and let's get it taken care of. And that's a phone call with your maintenance coordinators and your owner? Phone call, email. Um, normally what we do with an estimate is we'll call them first and we'll say it verbally and we'll say, hey, we're, we can send you an email with it if you would like, but we'll also email them and text them if they don't respond and we have to leave a voicemail. Yeah, if you're listening to this, one of the mistakes that people do, especially on big estimates, is they just send the estimate over to the owner. The owner has no idea what's going on, doesn't even know there's a maintenance request. And it's like, hey, Pete, you're, you know, insert issues here and it's $1,200. Send a check here to them tomorrow, right? And I love what you're saying. Like you call them first, you kind of like, hey, you're going to get a bill or a quote. It's going to be pretty big. Let me, but let me tell you what's going on and why. And here is the benefit of getting it done really quick, i.e. resident stays. Yeah, like that, that. And, that, and that's why we love the way we take care of maintenance is because when that work order initially comes in, the landlord is notified about it. So if it says AC on it, the landlord's notified about it. They see what's going on or the initial description of the work order. They know we might be reaching out to them in the next couple of days with something or we might just give them an update regardless. So it's a lot faster to get that approval because they already know it's top of mind for them. So, okay. So your owners get notified when a work order is opened? Yes. A lot of, a lot of property managers are scratching their head and saying, um, why, why would you ever do that? But transparency it is creates, key. But it creates co, it creates co-management potential. Potential. How do you, how do you stop that? So we find that we're hands off. We don't let the landlords dictate how we do situations. If they see a work order come in, they can chat us saying, Hey, just curious that what, what's going on with this. We will respond back to them. That, we that's will. understandable. But when, how about, Hey man, I got my, my, my brother's cousin's uncle has an AC company. I wanted you to use that. Or, you know, cause a lot of times what we would get, this was the worst is the owner would reach out to my property manager before the property manager knew it was a maintenance request because, you know, we're getting lots of emails every day. So, and so now the owner feels like we're not managing his property and he feels like he has to manage us. And you guys have been able to overcome that somehow. 
It starts with onboarding the landlord, uh, but realistically, the biggest word that comes to mind right now is trust. It, the landlord has to trust us, and we have to find a way to gain that trust from the landlord. So if they are not willing to you know, understand that we're the experts here and that we're going to send out the best contractor for their property, and they want to send out Bob from AP Plumbing, whatever it is, we're going to make it hard for them to use that plumber. We're going to tell them it's not allowed. We have to get their vendor. We have to get their insurance. We mm. have to get their you onboard form of payment, vendor. and that, that's going to be impossible for them. So they know that we do have a great vendor pool. Once we build that trust with them, they love the transparency. I would say within the first you know five months of having a resident with a new management, we normally receive a couple of work orders because True. there's all this stuff going on. And they will kind of see our process from there and say, okay, I think I like this. I like being notified. I like knowing when something might come up on my statement. And I'm starting to, I'm starting to figure yeah. out that this company is, you know, doing right by me. If you're listening to this, I'll just caution you, like, you know, building the team, they have 11, 1200 properties. They've been doing this for quite some time. They've been able to build that trust. If you're newer, I don't recommend your owner getting notified when a work order is open. It's just going to cause a lot more phone calls and emails and communication. If you want to be transparent, I think that's great, but you can do it when the invoice comes in. And this way they know that something's going on and that you took, you took care of it. That's just my, my opinion. But if you can get to the point where it's super transparent and it doesn't cause a lot of communication challenges, that's great too. All right. So now you, you got your vendor, they go out. It's uh, it was over the limit. You go get two estimates. If they ask for a third, I'm assuming as a charge or you just don't do it. So if they ask for a third, um, there, we, we won't do it. Okay. So, so okay. We, we can tell them that these are the two quotes that you're receiving. If you want to send out your own contractor, that's okay, but it is going to take a lot longer. And we have to onboard that contractor, I'm guessing, right? Because you don't want a third party. You don't want a contractor out there on an occupied property, right? Exactly. Okay. We, we need to have all their information in place. And again, this comes into play with these emergencies. You know, is the resident going to need to stay in a hotel because this landlord's dragging their feet and this project is now going to take a lot longer? Or it got Be worse. Exactly. Right? It was a water leak. Now it's a mold issue. Definitely. Yep. they didn't take care of it. Okay. All right. Now, the vendor gets approval. Do you do any work... If it's going to be more than the maintenance, then, then what's in the what's in the spending limit? So example is the owner gives you approval to do the twelve hundred dollars, but you only have five hundred dollars in the kitty for, on the reserve. Do you do the work or do you wait for the owner to deposit the seven hundred, even if you have a good standing tenant in the uh, good standing resident in the uh, property? Yeah, so this is where it does come a little become a little gray for our company just because we do require a contribution to be in before we start any work at the property. Now, if that work is going to be underneath the rental amount and you know we have less than 30 days before the landlord receives that statement and we have to deposit the funds, we know that resident's paying their rent, we might just use rent proceeds for it. But for any other given situation, we will require them to go into their owner portal, make that contribution so we know that we have trust with it. We have had situations in the past where we don't require the contribution and then it bites us in the butt because for one specifically, one specific situation is a vendor went bankrupt and there was no way of getting that money back from that landlord other than us spending a lot of money on our lawyer. So we make it very clear that they have to be ready to make those contributions when the time comes. Yeah, because if, if you're doing the work, you're, you're literally fronting the money because the vendor doesn't work for Joe, the owner. They work for... Billy, the property manager company. Yeah, they're not yeah. going. They're not going after that landlord. Yes, they might put a lien on the property, but they will come for us as well. Yep, yeah, yep. And uh, so we we would always pay our vendors. And I'll I'll let you know when I sold mine, I had a I had to make a 
I had to write a big check to the owner contract to, to the owner fund because like there was a lot of owners that had negative balance that didn't work with us anymore. Yeah. So like I'm like, man, that we had to cover that. Yeah, and put it, put it in, put it in your vendor agreements that they have to send that invoice in within two weeks, and we will pay them within thirty days. If they don't send us photos of before and after and that invoice within two weeks of completed work, we're not going to pay it for them. Yes, we will yeah. most of the time or pretty much all the time. But if we're any management with a landlord and that invoice was never sent in and we close out the account, who's paying yeah. for it? And I'm with you. If you have a good standing resident, then. I would do the work, even if it's over the threshold, knowing that the rent's coming in in two weeks on the first, and we would cover it. Because it's not a good standing resident, or it's a resident with history of late uh, late payments, I would then require the owner to make the contribution before we tell the vendor, go ahead and do it. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone probably understands this, but maintenance is very gray. So you have to you know, find that line and Swim yeah. around it. This often. is why we're not talking about emergency because emergency is a completely different animal. And it's like, you know, you, you just got to, you got to make some, some tough, difficult choices for sure. All right. So now the, the, the vendor goes and does the job. Money comes in or however you got it. You got the, the vendor comes in, does the job. So you've mentioned before and after photos. So they knock those out. They send the invoice typically with the before and after photos or do you, are you guys chasing invoices? We do have to chase invoices from now and then. And again, we have automation with that. If we don't have an attachment with an invoice on the work order after one week of the work being completed, they're getting blown up with automation saying, you need to send us that work order. You have not added the photos as well. We're not paying this until then. All of those things kind of come in in an automation yeah. standpoint. So that's in your vendor agreement as well. If they don't make the, uh, if they don't do certain things by certain time frame, they don't get paid, correct? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. One of the things that I did is I tied my my bonus for my maintenance coordinators to open work orders. And a work order couldn't be closed until we received photos and an invoice. And so we had some automations there that said, hey, you sent us the invoice. And we had some other automation that said, hey, if we don't get the invoice by this date, we're not paying you. And then my maintenance coordinators would literally get on the phone and say, hey, I need this invoice. I need the photos because if I can't close this work order... I'm not going to get my bonus. So we were able to close a lot of work orders and we ended up start we started getting invoices from most of our most of our vendors the day of. Mm-hmm. They would finish it and they would just send us the invoice. It was it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing with that. Yeah. You know, certain situations, one thing we have, you know, 400 sprinklers we have to turn on and off throughout the year and with that, you know, sometimes those vendors we use cannot push out those work orders in a timely manner. We have thought about doing it that way where you can't close a work order until you know the vendor makes the input sends in the invoice but then it affects our metrics like you said and the way we go about it is we have five vendors to use one vendor is not working out and they're not using you know going through it the way we need them to all right we're going to start using a different vendor wait until they're hurting and reach out to us and say hey why are you sending me work it's because of the expectations you need to fit ah, in it's line a great with time to redirect the, the vendor exactly yeah got it okay and then, of course, the work order uh, used meld, so the work order gets closed, and then they have a customer satisfaction. Is that one of the metrics that you look at from the team, um, the customer satisfaction metric? We do look at the customer satisfaction me- metric. Basically, on a, the way we do it is we look at the negative situations. When we have to address those as a team once a week, and okay, then we I just like say, okay, we had this many positive, but so many of our residents do not submit you know, there is a small sample size, it. right? It is a small, sample even though size. you have a lot of 
mm. work orders is still just a small sample size. Yep. But we do, after that work order is closed out, we reach out to the resident twice asking them for that survey back. Do you bonus your maintenance coordinators or do they just, they just get paid a salary? They just get paid a salary. We don't, okay, so. we, we've considered it in the past, but not something in the books right now. Okay. Do you know the KPIs offhand or what they, uh, what they're trying to hit? Not the numbers, but just the, the, just the KPI itself. As for right now, I don't love our KPIs, but one thing that we work in progress, work in progress. One thing we check out is satisfaction score. One thing we check out is chats per meld and completion rate, how long it takes to complete that work order. We do with automation and with everything else, we want to make sure that at least every single work order has eight or more chats within it. And that sounds a little crazy, but at the same time, we're staying active. We're being communicative with them and they should love us for that. Okay. All right. So a couple of KPIs that that we used that you can toy with. I learned this from Ray Hespin over a property meld. He said the longer a meld stays open or a work order stays open, the higher the rate that you're going to get an online negative review or a negative CSAT. And then to two numbers, and I don't know if they hold still if they still hold true today, but he said 15 days was a really big indicator of potential lawsuit you know, a issue with the real estate commission or, or online negative review and seven days is where it starts affecting the CSAT. So what I did is I said, okay, my KPIs are going to be CSAT score total. And then the second one is going to be percent of open work orders over 15 days had to be, I think we got it down to less than 5% because there are going to be some that are just open over 15 days. I think the, the KPI was 7%. My team got down to 2%. And I think we get a bonus on that. And then work orders greater than seven days was 15%. And I think my team got down to about 9%. Wow. Which meant that we were able to close work orders. And like I said, our work orders, they had to get the photos and the invoice. So they are closed, closed. Meaning nobody has to do anything with that work order again. Whereas if you close the work order, but you still don't have photos... That there's still work that has to be done. It's not closed. The loop isn't closed, so to speak. So as you are looking at it, something to, something to think about. Definitely, yeah. All right, we are over time, brother. So let's take a quick break here. And then, Billy, Vanilla Burl, you ready for the lightning round? I'm going to have you wrap for me on, on our way out. We'll be right back. Everybody. Definitely not. <laughs> have you ever considered hiring a property management virtual assistant but didn't know where to start? Or have you tried hiring a virtual assistant, but you weren't satisfied with the number of qualified applicants? If so, VPM Solutions is here to help. VPM is the world's first virtual talent marketplace dedicated specifically to property management and real estate. We have thousands of talented virtual assistants ready to work for you, including assistance for accounting, leasing, maintenance coordination, rent collections, and much more. With VPM, you can post jobs, screen candidates, hire and pay your virtual assistants, all from within our state-of-the-art platform. VPM is the easy button for hiring and managing your virtual team. And the best part? VPM Solutions is 100% free to employers. That's right, free. No placement fees, no employer markups, and no hidden charges. With VPM, property managers get the talent they need while reducing costs and improving customer service. Visit vpmsolutions.com and create your free account today. PestShare, a pest control amenity for your resident benefits program. 
starting at just $5 per door. You can give your residents the pest control coverage they need. PestShare will even pay for the expensive infestations, like bedbugs and cockroaches. End the debate over who pays for pest control, while PestShare turns an expense into added revenue. For more information, check out their website at pestshare.com forward slash property managers. Create the best move-in experience for your resident or homeowner. Citizen Home Solutions is a utility concierge service designed to assist with services needing activation prior to moving into a new home. Our experienced team will help eliminate the stress of setting up services. No more calling a long list of service providers to get everything connected and ready for move-in day. Your client will value the white glove service provided on your behalf. True, Citizen Home Solutions assist with utilities, but more importantly, we create an experience that your client will appreciate and love. Our service is free and offers you a revenue share program. Want to know more? Visit pmcpartner.com. All right, welcome everybody. We're back to the, the lightning round with the one and only Vanilla Burl. Big Bunny got nothing on you. Is that his name? Big Bunny? The, the rapper that everybody loves now? Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny. Bad, bad Bunny. Bunny. Big Bad go. Bunny. L Big Bad. All right. You ready, Billy? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Do you use virtual assistants in your maintenance department? Yes. All right. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone just starting out in the property management business? Over-communicate in the onboarding process. What was your first job? I was a talent acquisitions manager at Vail Resorts Ski Company. Nice. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes, it does. What is your ideal vacation? Anything snowboarding related. Isn't that funny? I think your future wife likes the beach. Just saying. <laughs> what is one success you've had in your life? Buying a house. All right. First house. Which Disney character do you most associate with? This one always stumps people. Yeah, Disney character. Okay. All right, or like um, Marvel character, whatever you want. I would say Ant-Man. Ant-Man. I was thinking uh, Donald Duck. Didn't your dad have a Donald Duck tattoo? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's him. That's not you, though. That's right. What is one challenge you're currently facing in your business? Bad churn from maintenance issues. The owner churn. Owner churn, yes. Okay. What do you prefer, dogs or cats? Dogs. All right. All right, guys. If you're listening to this and you're not a NARPA member, I don't understand why the heck you're not a NARPA member and you listen to this. You should join. Call 1-800-782-3452 or go to NARPM, N-A-R-P-M dot O-R-G. If you are looking for remote team help, virtual assistance, international team members, global team members, you want to reduce your overall uh, expenses, then give us a try, vpmsolutions.com. Over 30,000 virtual assistants looking to work in the property management field. We have free training that you can hire them, pay them, and manage them and train them all through our platform. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. We will catch you next time. This has been a production of the National Association of Residential Property Managers, the recognized leader in property management, along with your host, Pete Newbig, CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. 
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. If you have a hot topic you'd like discussed on the podcast, please email us at radio at narpum.org.